friends. Welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys for another episode. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Donato's Pizza here in Bowling Green. I mentioned it last week, but they are doing some awesome stuff here in the community. They gave out 600 free pizzas to people last week, and they're doing everything that they can to make sure that their community is fed and taken care of during COVID-19 and everything else that's happening with that. So if you're in the Bowling Green area and you're looking for somewhere to eat tonight, hit up my buddy Spence and Donato's Pizza here in Bowling Green. They will take care of you. The music that you're hearing is from my good friend Ryan Allwart. He's got an 80s album coming out later this year. So if you've not checked out his music, head over to Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you get your music. Check his stuff out and subscribe so that you're ready for when his new music does come out this summer because I promise you, you will enjoy it. It's some 80s covers. I've already gotten to hear it a little bit because he's been doing some virtual concerts online and sharing some of his music with his followers. So make sure you check him out. All right. Y'all know that I love having authors on this show and talking to them about their books, their writing process, how their book came to be. And we've been super fortunate on this show to have quite a few authors from B&H Publishing on to talk about their books. And this week, I'm excited to have Janae White on the show. Janae is the senior publicist at B&H Publishing, and she's been super helpful setting up these interviews with those authors. But I was happy to have her on because she gave us some quarantine reading suggestions and has a lot of good books to recommend, not just from B&H, but from other genres, even fiction and some children's books. So if you're looking for stuff to read right now, Janae's got some really great suggestions. And we talked a little bit about the Enneagram. So if you're an Enneagram person, I think you'll enjoy that conversation as well. And we just talked a lot about what we've been doing to stay busy and keep ourselves occupied during quarantine. We also talked quite a bit about Tiger King. So if you are into Tiger King and you've been able to watch that, I think you'll enjoy that conversation as well. But I had a really good time catching up with Janae and talking about just what we've been doing. And I hope you guys will enjoy this conversation. But here's my conversation with Janae White. Well, Janae, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on because we've been talking so much over the last couple of months, getting the authors from B&H on here, which you work with. And now we get to have you on here, kind of get you a chance in the, the mini spotlight here. So welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. I'm glad that we finally get to connect too. I know we have, we've talked about, we have so many mutual friends and we're both from Kentucky. This is like long overdue. I know. And it was so weird because I, the, the whole thing started when I saw somebody retweet one of Daniel M's videos into my Twitter timeline and he was promoting his new book. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a really good book to have on this podcast. So I DM'd him and he was like, hey, yeah, I just reach out to Janae and she'll set it up. I had no idea who you were. And then as we're talking, we're like, wait a second, you're roommates with Catherine who knew my wife and is friends with my wife's friend. And then like, I think your is it your sister who is married to a guy that my mother-in-law had in class or something like that? I don't know. There's some yes. kind of crazy, some kind of crazy There's connection. connections everywhere. And then we were just talking about tennis. Like we can't, we're going to go down so many rabbit trails and we talk about all this stuff we have in common, but I feel like we should have been friends long talking. ago. Yeah, I we know. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on. This is great. Um, yeah, I, I think we're both, we're both trying to figure out ways to spend our time as we deal with the coronavirus stuff. What have you, what have you been up to? What have you been doing to fill your time? I know that you're still pretty busy with work, but other things that you might've been able to do before that you can't do now, what are you filling that time with? 
Yeah. Well, like a lot of people, I'm working from home. I'm on about week three of doing that. So that is taking up most of my day, but I'm just trying to, um, one, just connect with my people more. And I think that I've appreciated more the technology that we had before. Like we already had Zoom. We already had Skype. Like I obviously we could text and call people, but I think I've appreciated so much more that connection and setting aside time to like check it. Like I lead a small group at church. So check in with them or set up just like a hangout, um, or see what they need. Um, and I've tried, I am such a doer that it can be really easy for me to fill up my time and make a quarantine list and like set up lots of these zoom calls or whatever, but I'm really trying to take time to not just like fill all my free time, but to, let myself relax a little bit and take the kind of the gift of rest that we have right now and the gift of extra time and maybe like journal a little bit more. I try to increase my time reading the Bible or praying or um, reading something that's going to fill my soul and refresh um, my soul right now and not just fill it with all the stuff that I've been meaning to do. So I'm trying to stay balanced, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, And that can be hard. I'm enjoying cooking more, hanging out with my roommates and going on walks now that it's finally nice weather and trying to read more. Like I did such a great job reading last year and have gotten a little bit behind this year. I'm not going to look at my Goodreads <laughs> year <laughs> challenge. I don't know if you keep up with that, but yeah, mine is at 25. And I, we were talking before we got on here that You're I have 25 for the year already. No, that's my goal oh, for the year. Okay, Heck, okay, no. Okay. Heck no, no, I'm at, I'm at four, I'm at four completed books for the year. Uh, okay. actually no five now, five, I finished my fifth one. Uh, the other day, but yeah, my goal is to get to 25 because I, like we talked about before we recorded, I have a huge, hugely bad habit of starting books and not finishing them. And yeah, so I made it a goal I. and I was like, you know what I can do, I can do two books a month. And especially now, whenever I don't have a whole lot going on, I'm like, I should be able to do much more between March, April, May, however long this goes on for yeah. and like with audiobooks and whatever else. I mean, there's so many easy ways to read books now. So my goal is 25 for the year because I was like, I don't, I, there's no way that I can get to 52. And I just felt like 25 yeah. is basically two books a month, which I think is doable. That's doable. So now do you count audiobooks in that? I do count Some audiobooks. People, okay. I do too. <laughs> yes. I think if you're consuming a book in whatever way, whether you're reading it or uh, listening to it, it counts. And actually, and I've talked to people about this before, and I did this when I was a teacher with my students too, but my preferred way to read a book is actually to listen to it while mm. reading it. Oh, I've never done that. And so what actually, like, I, does I hear the, the book, and if I ever lose focus, like, when I'm, like, not looking at the words, I can still hear it and go along with it. But then also, like, if I follow along and I'm reading it, I can, like, remember the words better when I hear it and read it. And then I also always read with my highlighter in my hand. And so every oh, book that yeah. I read, I'm highlighting yeah. the crap out of it. And so that, to me, is, like, the most effective way. So mm-hmm. if, because I just, whenever I'm reading a book, like without, like just on my own, I have a very bad habit of losing focus. And so mm-hmm. when I listen to it, it actually helps me keep focus on the book more. So usually if, if there's a book that's on audio, I will listen to it and read it at the same time. I'm going to try that. I said that I haven't done that, but I guess I have done that technically with the Bible app because sometimes I will do that. I'll put it on audio and I'll read it at the same time because I think I just get distracted just by nature oh. of looking at my phone just out of habit. And so sometimes I need that double um, enforcement of what I'm, what I'm reading, but I'm always with a book and a highlighter with it. If it's a physical book or I'm a Kindle, I'm a big Kindle reader too. So I've always told my students and I had a teacher in college that told me this too. And it was like, I took creative writing as a minor, which is hilarious because I was never a huge avid reader. Um, 
but I, I liked the writing aspect of it. And I enjoyed studying literature just at that time of my life. I wasn't a huge avid reader and it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And they always told me that if you're reading and you're not taking notes or highlighting, then you're not really actively reading. And so I've always kept that with me. And I'm like, yeah. I, I feel like I don't have part of it. If I'm reading a book and I don't have a highlighter, I start to feel like anxious or something like that. So yeah. It's, it's like, weird. how am I going to remember this if I don't highlight it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I always told my students that I'm like, because, you know, I have students in my English class that they would just like, they'd want to put their head down or doze off or do something else. And I'm like, you need to have something in your hand because that makes sure yeah. that you're actively reading. So that's my suggestion yeah. for anybody else that like, maybe reading is a struggle like that. I, I've found that listening to books and having some kind of a writing tool with me helps me. I agree because also sometimes I'll respond to something a little bit. I'll just write down in the margin next to the word, maybe what my immediate response is. And I'm not writing like a whole sentence or anything. I'm just writing. If there's something that comes to mind, like, oh, I need to apply this like at work or something, or this reminds me of this person. It helps me just to jot my response down. And it just helps me to interact with the, what I'm reading a little bit more, which again, just keeps me engaged. So I feel like, I feel like my highlighter is like a, somewhat of like a like a golf clap or like an amen whenever I read something and I'm like oh I like yep. that yeah sometimes like I'll I'll highlight it because I think it might help me like with my own book that I'm writing I'm like that's a really nice idea I want to go back to that but a lot of times yeah. it's just kind of like I like you feel that like you're, um do you feel like you're reading books differently now that you're writing your own now yes for sure and I've picked out a lot of books that I felt like are going along with the topic that I'm writing about okay. um so that helps me kind of not not get ideas in the sense that I want to just take those ideas, but it does help me to know, like, what are other people saying about this? Like, for instance, mm. like I talked to Marcus Piper a couple weeks ago, yeah. his book, his book helped my unbelief is probably the most similar thing that and Rob Dance's book are probably the two books that are similar to what I'm writing. And that's why I've enjoyed talking to them because I'm like, you guys lived through very similar things that I lived through that I'm writing about. And so why wouldn't I want to read your work and understand what you guys went through and gather your own evidence? Cause I feel like anybody who's a good writer has to be a good reader. And mm-hmm. I told them whenever I was in journalism too, that was a big thing was that you could tell the kids who were good at journalistic writing were the ones that read a lot of news articles that read good journalism. Right. And I think with any craft that you do or want to be good at, I think if you consume a lot of it, like for instance, like athletes will watch a ton of film or they'll practice mm-hmm. a ton and all that kind of stuff. And I just think that it helps, especially if you're, if you're wanting to be a writer or any or a podcaster or anybody that you know dispenses ideas, I think gathering ideas from other people can only help. And so, yeah, I definitely read books differently. Mm-hmm. I read it with a more critical, not critical, but just a more analytical eye. And mm-hmm. I think that started too when I was a teacher was that I knew that I had to read books differently because I had to understand it differently in mm. order to explain it to people. And I also, you know, now that I'm becoming more public with my ideas, like I used to you know, whenever I'd read Christian type books, I would just read them for my own pleasure. Well, like now I, I blog occasionally, I have this podcast. And so a lot mm-hmm. of these ideas, I want them to be out there, but I also yeah. want them to be founded and well-researched and not just be throwing stuff at the wall. And so that's why I read it much more critically than I did in the past where I'm reading it passively. I don't read a lot of fiction. I was thinking about that last night. Like my wife does really? a good job. She mixes, you know, Christian books and nonfiction and fiction. And I just, I don't know, like I, I like fiction occasionally but for me whenever I read I like to be able to gain knowledge and I like reading mm. nonfiction books and every book that I read this year has been a Christian book and I'm like okay if people if people go back and look at my goodreads or look at like I do those little things on Instagram where I like put the books that I finished and it's like yeah. all Christian books somewhere so yeah. I do have I do have some sports books that are on my uh bookshelf that I probably need to read as well just to mix it up yeah. but yeah, I don't have a lot of fiction like I have the great Gatsby which was my favorite book that I taught when I was an English teacher I have okay 
1984. I have Fahrenheit mm, 451, which both of those are applicable to what's going mm. on right now. And then <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have another fiction book on my bookshelf right now. So I have a book called Calico Joe, which is by John Grisham, which is a fiction book. So I both, everything else is um, pretty much nonfiction. And so I'm just kind of yeah. like, I guess my genre. I guess I've found my genre of books. Yeah. Or, you know, it might be great to take a break from that. And um, for me, like last year, I found myself, I was just reading a lot of nonfiction books and Christian living books. And that um, is part of my job. Like I work at a publishing house that publishes solely like Christian nonfiction books. And so I had to, it was hard for me because with fiction, I wanted to read more fiction and really read for fun and kind of give myself a break because I could see in the future that eventually I might get burnt out on these types of books. And I didn't want that to happen because I love getting to work on Christian nonfiction books. I've been really impacted by them. Um, but it took me a while to figure out what I really liked with fiction and where to get reviews or suggestions that not only that I could trust, but just that I would enjoy. But last year I deemed it, it was my year of reading fiction. Like I read what I needed to read to keep up with things for work. But outside of that, I tried to read maybe one Christian nonfiction book or Christian living book a month or every two months and really like digest it a little bit more and then just like allow myself to read for fun because that's where I, I just wasn't finding that enjoyment or entertainment. And it replaced a lot of my Netflix time, which was not a bad thing. I basically just watched Lost last year for the first time <laughs> and then read a ton of fiction and listened to audiobooks. But it helped me like fall in love with reading in a different way because I still love reading the other stuff. But I really kind of found my groove and found who I follow on Instagram or just who I would follow on Goodreads to figure out, okay, once I finish this one, this is, I know it's coming up next. Yeah. I think so, that's probably a good point because I think I, I inundate myself with almost too much information. Like, I think there is such a thing where like I can bombard myself with just too much. Like I read a book, I just finished a book by John Bevere and it was like almost too much theologically for me. I was like, okay, okay. I don't even understand half of this. I'm like, I need to go to something wider after this. And Emily sure. has been the same way where she'll read, you know, two or three heavy Christian books. She's like, I really just need a fiction book. So yep. I haven't quite gotten to that point yet, but it probably wouldn't hurt to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And reading fiction for me is just fun. I don't, you know, sometimes I've been surprised by what I've learned from it. And sometimes I've learned more or in a different way than I have from a nonfiction book, because that's what I was so used to reading before. But I just kind of had to stop and let myself just read it for fun. And I am a lot like you, like was reading a lot of books for knowledge or like I had to read some business books for work and needed to get out of that rhythm of reading for something and just let myself enjoy reading and kind of fall in love with, fall in love with it in a new way. So you mentioned you work for a publishing house, obviously. And yes. I know one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about was maybe some book suggestions that you have during this time of quarantine what you can start to with the, some of the books you've already read this year that you really liked but then you know as people are trying to figure out ways to spend their time I think reading is one of the best ways to spend your time right now if you can go Absolutely. out and sit on your, you can go out and sit on your deck during a nice day and read a book or like the other day Emily and I were on Western Kentucky's campus six feet away or more from everybody else of course of course but we were we were emailing and it was like the absolute perfect day like I was so comfortable in my Eno and I was like I oh know. yeah I had my Eno set up like, in my front yard there you go <laughs> so yeah if you've got a hammock or something where you can just go outside and read it's like to me it's one of the best ways that, that you can use time but what are what are some of your favorite books you've read this year and, and what are some other books that you might suggest as we are kind of maybe to get our mind off of what's going on. But also I know you mentioned that you have some that are kind of dealing with the topics that and emotions that we might be feeling during this time. 
Yeah. So first of all, I've already said this year has not been the highest number or um, book count for me quite yet. Um, the devotion that I'm reading every day is one that I, my friend just sent to me. She ordered it on Amazon and it showed up on my front door. I had no idea what it was. I'm going to show it to you. It's called The Seeking Heart. It's kind of like a self-published Devo, but it's by this um, a Catholic priest, like written a couple hundred years ago. And it's oh. just a, de- a devotion a one page devotion. Sometimes it's less than a page, but it is like kicking my butt every day. Like it is so it packs the punch. Like the very first, the very first devotion that I read in it, it was talking about overactivity and stubbornness will only increase your anguish. So don't be so busy that you're like, you block the cross or the gospel from, um, soaking into your life. And just sometimes I just have to stop and focus or under, like even stop underlining and just like focus on what I'm reading. But that, that devotional, like I've been taking photos of it and texting to to my friends. I'm like, I'm not trying to convict you of anything, but this is really spoke to me today. Um, so I've been reading that. And, um, one of my favorite fiction books that is a really fun one, um, especially those I'm also from Kentucky, but it's called the, the giver of stars by Jojo Moyes. Um, and I hadn't read anything by that author before she's known for, she's like super, Oh yeah. yeah. She, I didn't read me before you when that came out, there was a lot of hype around, around that book, but it's a really cool historical fiction book about a traveling library in the early 1900s that actually happened in Kentucky. It's a true story about women who started this traveling library and were bringing books, um, and riding horses and bringing books to people that couldn't get out or poor families that whose dads were like going into the mines and all this stuff. So I love that one. I, I listened to it on audiobook and then I read a little bit of it. So that's something that I'll do too. I don't do it at the same time, but I always request both from the library if it's a really popular book. And then I just see what comes first <laughs> and then I just start it. Um, so sometimes I'm going back and forth or whatever. So I've read those this year, but I was going back through some of the books that um, we've published that, and then I have a few on my t- um, TBR <laughs> to to read list um one and then I have a kids book for you too if anybody wants to hear that one because it I think it's so applicable to adults I'll just go ahead and say it now it's called what am I feeling and it's a kids book by um Josh and Christy Straub and it's this really sweet story um of kids that are getting ready for a show and tell at their school and all of them are dealing with feeling like they're all like five or six years old And it talks about um, physically how all of them are manifesting their emotions. Like one of them talks about feeling kind of like rumbly in my tummy and he's like feeling anxiety, but he doesn't know what to say. And so if you have kids, that is a great book. Or if you just want to need help putting a name to your feelings, I know your wife is a therapist, so she's probably really good at that. I don't have a (laughs) someone at home helping me talk through that. So even just a kid's book, it has a pull out feelings chart um, at the end of it, which is really fun. So, um, that's the first one I would recommend, um, for right now, because I think at least for my personality type, sometimes I stuff down my feelings a lot and I don't stop and take the time to, to do a check-in and be like, Hey, what what's, am I what's feeling? Your number? I'm a three. Three. Okay. I'm a four. So, okay. Do you have a four, a three wing or a five wing? I think it's more of a three. I don't, it wait, it honestly wavers. I know that doesn't make any sense, but like when I've talked to Emily about it, I'm like, sometimes it like whatever what is the three state? What is it? See, this is where I told you, I'm not the biggest Enneagram expert. I know that I'm a okay. four, but I don't know. I can't remember what the three or five are. I just know that sometimes she's like, oh, you're definitely a five wing. Oh, actually, I think you're more of a three wing. So what is okay. the three? What is so the, the three? Three is the achiever or the performer. And they're okay. very motivated by what you do. And like speaking of your interview with Daniel M, 
his, the title of his book, You Are What You Do, is literally like the lie that the three believes. So there's kind of a, a motivating lie that eat, that drives each number. And for the three, that is literally it. Like, you are what you do. So in order to prove your worth to everyone, you need to keep doing all the things. I think so, that I, I definitely align with that because whenever when I was a teacher, like I have a big habit of taking on way more than I need to. So for yeah. instance, I was telling you before we like before we recorded all the stuff that I had on my plate when I was a teacher. Well, mm-hmm. that was because I found my identity and the success of what I was doing, and yeah. I and that was a, and I and I recognize that now where I don't really have a lot of that. Like I I don't have I'm not a teacher. I'm not in charge of the yearbook. You know, like whenever we would win awards, like I would, like I was always stressed out, but I was motivated by like the attention that that would bring. On yeah. my, and I was like, okay, I need to stop doing so much. So I feel like there's a lot of tendencies that I have there, but what, what is the five then? The five is the investigator or the researcher. So they, and you know, as a journalist, I'm like, maybe that's me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard someone describe it. It's like a bird. Like you have both wings. You just might favor one over the other. So okay. you're still are going to like have some characteristics of both. But for me as a three, like all of us are faced with, we have all this time right now. And so sometimes that, at least for me, that is kind of forcing me to, to deal with some of what I'm feeling about not being able to do the things that I'm used to doing. And then being like, oh, wait, why do I feel like unfulfilled because of not doing them? Is it because I genuinely miss that? Or is it because I find some of my identity in what I'm doing? And so now I feel like a part of me is lost or part of my identity is, or my worth is gone because of the things I'm not doing. So um, that's why I said journaling has helped a lot. I'm trying to be a self-aware version of myself and journal and read and kind of let myself sit in that for a little bit. Um, but whoa, Enneagram rabbit trail. <laughs> I have some more <laughs> book recommendations. Um, yeah, go ahead. One, one of my favorites. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think I did it with bringing up the Enneagram. <laughs> um, Afraid of All the Things. It's a super fun title um, by Scarlett Hiltabidal. I think the subtitle is Cancer, Tornadoes, and Other Things You Need the Gospel For. Um, Actually, I need to connect you with her. I think you would really enjoy talking to her. Um, She's also based here in Nashville. But she's, um, that book, especially if you struggle with fear and um, needing to figure out like the truth on the other side of that, she, in a very like humorous and accessible way, talks about like all these things that she's been afraid of all of her life. One Um, of my completed chapters in my book is all about fear. And and, and yes. I've written a lot of things, and when I wrote it, I truly thought that it was one of the best things I've written. And I and I read it out loud to Emily, and she was like, "I think that's one of the best things you've ever written." And I was like, oh "I really like that as a so like the idea that the topic of fear is like something that like I, it's not I get I, in a way we've all dealt with fear, and especially yeah. as we go into this, it's funny because Barnabas had a good point the other day. He tweeted something like, "I see a lot of people calling this." an uncertain time that applies at every other time before this was certain. And I was like, okay, that's kind of true. But yeah, this, this is definitely is much true. more, this is definitely much more uncertain than maybe other times. Cause we don't know when we're going to be out of lockdown or out of the stay at home orders. Right. So there's a lot of things that people are fearing right now. So again, not to derail you, but I do like, I, I'm very much enamored with the topic of fear and breaking it down and dissecting oh, it. Oh yeah. So I would love, yeah, I would love to hear more about her book and talk to her. So go, go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. It's a really fantastic book that I need to get back out. And she's written some really cool articles recently. Um, I can send you the links to, if you want to link to them about, um, kind of the topic that she talks about in her book, but then talks about in a lot of other ways and how she's dealing with this time. And it's encouragement for people that already fear so many daily things and struggle with that on a daily basis. And then are kind of having to deal with that on a, like 
a heightened sense <laughs> with everything that we're dealing with right now. One I haven't read yet, but I've listened to several of her podcast interviews. I don't know if you do that. Sometimes I feel like I've read the book if I've listened to a couple podcast interviews of an author talking about it for like an hour at a time. Yeah. Um, but it's a new one called Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. Um, she's a founder of If Gathering. Um, yeah, I've been to several Emily's, of those events. But Emily loves her. Yeah. So that one I think is a very timely message for just stopping the, the um, spiral of toxic thoughts. And I think now, what, like I've already said, because of time and that could be something that we already struggle with, like getting in that spiral that, or um, cyclone or whatever you want to call it that we can't get out of, um, now more than ever, that feels very relevant. Um, and then I, I would just suggest some good memoirs or good biographies right now. I think those could be kind of like that happy medium if you're not um, all in with fiction but want a little bit of a break from a traditional nonfiction book. Um, some of my favorites recently, one is gay girl, good God by Jackie Hill Perry. Have you read that one? No, but it is on our bookshelf. I okay. see it every day when I walk past our oh bookshelf. Oh my gosh. You got to get it off because, and it's not going to be one of the ones Emily, that you just read a chapter of. <laughs> Emily read it and I, she's got like the, we have a big, we have a bookshelf in our living room that I have all of my books in the office. And so, um, she's got a ton of really good books that are on that shelf still. She did the whole Mary Kondo thing where she got rid of all the books that she wasn't going to read again. And nice. Didn't bring her joy, so that one made the cut. So it is it's nice. Our, our book, so. <laughs> that is a really, it's a really compelling story and a, and a perspective. But also, I think you would really enjoy the way it's written. Um, she's a spoken word poet and a rapper, and also a Bible teacher and a speaker. And just her writing style of her story is super. It's so good. Um, that's one of the me um, a couple memoirs that I've enjoyed, and then. There's one called Devotedly. I don't know if you're familiar with Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot was one of the pilots that was killed in the 50s when he was a missionary in South America. Um, so this book is a biography um, and kind of a compilation of the love story and the, the letters back and forth between him and his wife, like as they were dealing with their call to be um, a missionary and then serve in another country and should they get married and like kind of their backstory. So I think, like I said, I think memoirs can be a good way to pass the time and still um, really like have some practical takeaways and reading stories of overcomers, I think can really give us hope right now for what we're going through. And like, yeah, there's hope on the other side. Like these are people throughout history that have <laughs> dealt with things, even the early church, like stories in the Bible about how the early church dealt with pandemics and plagues and um, pressure, like crazy things from the government, I think can really encourage us right now. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people that might be feeling, you know, I think this is where history is always so important. And yeah, I, I, I heard students when I was a teacher bemoan taking history and they didn't understand the point of it. And I'm like, because you have to understand context for things. Yeah. I mean, this is not the first time people have experienced a pandemic. This is not the first time mm -hmm. that the world has gone through something like this. Nope. And in, whenever, like, for instance, whenever I was a teacher, we taught a book called um, an American plague. And it was all about, um, it was the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 in Philadelphia. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until 1820 when they finally decided that this disease or virus or infect, infection, I don't know, that was, it was spread by mosquitoes. That was when they discovered that insects could carry diseases. And so this, mm -hmm. this was fascinating to look at, um, you know, how people responded to an epidemic, how they responded to unknowns that were causing these people to die and it's very yeah. similar to things that we're going through right now and 
it was always around this time of the year that we taught that book. And I just think back, I'm like, man, if I was still a teacher, I wonder if we would have kept, because I think they changed the curriculum this year, but I was hmm. like, I wonder if I was still teaching, if I could have still lobbied for that book to be taught and if we would have been yeah. teaching it this time and how relevant it would have been. And yeah, like there's just so many things like that when you learn history, you see like this happened before and this is how people dealt with it. And, you know, I think it kind of helps us realize like, you know, we aren't alone and it's not like we're up against some grave enemy that we've never faced before. Yeah. Reading too, especially historical stuff. Cause you just like, you don't, understand the context of things. Right. I was talking to my family. I went to see them a couple weeks ago before, before all of this got really serious. I got to go to Kentucky. And it was see still them. socially acceptable. to be. That's right. I have to give like a big disclaimer now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was just talking to my parents about how this will really mark generations that live through this. And it'll be interesting to see like positive and negative things that we do really for the rest of our lives. Like me and you, you know, we're what in our twenties or thirties and have our lives in front of us. And there might be things like we're going to be way more OCD about using hand sanitizer or like buying extra toilet paper just because we lived through this and experienced this for all of 2020. Or that, I mean, there could be more positive things than that, <laughs> but thinking, comparing, like we were talking about the generation that went through the great depression and how even kids that lived through that and saw how their parents reacted, um, that still might've like saved a little bit extra or were le- not as prone to throw things away or just this big like, generation marker. Um, but then like so many really cool relational things, like for the church, so many oppor- unique opportunities, even for businesses that can happen during this time. But it, it'll just be interesting like to look back and um, reflect on this and see more of the context of what happened um, before and after this and what some of the like markers for these generations will be because we lived through Corona. I have thought that too. Like I I was thinking about, you know, I was in, I was in sixth grade when September 11th happened. And that's to me has always been the most, you know, iconic generational historical event of my lifetime. Yeah. And it it probably always will be just because of of it. But I mean, frankly, like there have been more deaths because of coronavirus than September 11th and and, in our daily lives for a long period of time are much more affected than Mm -hmm. I remember after September 11th. I think like as a sports fan, I noticed this, but like sports were shut down for a few days. But but Mm -hmm. it was was a week that Major League Baseball was back playing. And it was like a big, huge, iconic event because George Bush went and threw out the first pitch at Yankees game. And it was an event. Well, it's crazy because this is an event that we can't really unify with because we have to be apart. And so right. like, like you and I are talking over Skype right now and that's mm-hmm. become the new norm. Like mm-hmm. if you want to hang out with, it's like, let's get on a zoom call or FaceTime or Skype or something because right. we can't hang out. And it's right. just, I think you're right. Like I'm, I'm very curious what our country is going to look like when this is all done. And what's weird to me is that, you know, we had heard about the, the coronavirus for, a month or two before it really hit us hard. Mm-hmm. And I was guilty of just kind of like shrugging it off. Like, well, yeah. we've had other like SARS and H1N1 that never really affected us that badly. Zika, mm-hmm. Ebola, like we'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I had a parent who was pretty in tune with a lot of the news, a parent of one of my tennis players. And he, he was texting me all of these news articles. And I just kind of like, this is crazy that they're canceling events. Like they canceled the BMP Paribas open in California and Indian Wells. I'm like, that's a huge, my parents texted me about that too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, they canceled this tournament. And then like, I had a friend who goes to the Miami open every year for spring break. And he was like, yeah. man, I can't even, I'm going to go to the Miami open now. And then it was like, instantly the tournament started canceling. 
But before that, he texted me and was like, this is before all those cancellations. And he was like, I would not be surprised if your tennis season gets canceled. And I was just like, that's yeah. crazy. That's that, No, there's no way. And I, and I just was like, I, I said, that I, what I told him was, I would be very surprised if our season gets canceled. And I was trying to be nice about it because I was like, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Sure, that probably just sounded so extreme at the time. Yeah, and I was like, you're way overreacting. It's not going to be a big deal. And so just like, for me, that's why this is so jarring is because I'm sure I'm not alone that I was looking at this like, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, we're going to be fine. It's basically what it sounds like is the flu. And I think we're going to be fine. Well, now we know a whole lot more about it. And we see how contagious it is and how it affects people. And so now we're kind of like, okay, this makes sense. But man, this is crazy that like, all of our systems that are normally in place, like sports and school and other things are gone. Like I, I could never have imagined when I was in college that they would have just told us to go home for the rest of the semester starting in March. Oh, I know. And that's crazy. Like, you know, like it's just crazy to me how much our life has changed. And I'm very curious how societally we will respond from this. But yeah. economically, I'm, I'm curious how businesses will respond because they're seeing now like there's so much that we can do remotely than having people in here in the office. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm curious what jobs will look different once this is all over. Right. Like, for us, we were working from home two days a week already, our team. And different areas of LifeWay were um, working from home at different um, at different rates. But I think you're right because for some companies maybe that hadn't wanted to do work from home for different reasons, it's like now we have a chance to have to do it out of necessity. And then I think that some companies might say, like, oh, this, this works and our people can do it and we have the technology to do it. Um, but it, it takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of, you know, different kind of IT support and um, just more flexibility. But I think there'll be other things like that, that maybe we didn't feel like we had the time to try, but now we're, we have this pause or like a, an opportunity to pivot or kind of do a hard reset and be like, okay, what opportunities are here for us during this time? Um, what can we try that we didn't get to before? Like, what can we how can we get messages out to people or even through books or through social media that, again, we had these opportunities before, but we weren't forced to be, to utilize them. Like we could do this before, um, like talk to our small group on, on zoom or just like utilize other tools at our disposal. But now that we're being forced to pause and take a break and, um, really evaluate the things that we're doing, I think there could be a lot of really cool things that come out of that. Do you think we'll see more gratitude from people once this is all over? I, I know that's a weird question, but it just seems like I've seen a lot of people remarking like all the things that they're grateful for. And I just wonder yeah. if, if that attitude will carry forward when we're back around each other. You know, I feel like I hope so. I hope so too. I mean, I just I feel like that's something that I've noticed that um, people just seem to be a lot more grateful and generous toward each other. And yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that that's going to carry forward whenever we can rejoin each other. I think so too. One of my friends was encouraging me and something I've been thinking a lot about is just showing grace for each other in whatever our response to this is. So however we choose to, um, act and live within the guidelines, what we're given or however we're feeling about it, just like have grace for people and every response that they have or whatever they're doing that is best for them or, um, and then I think more gratitude for like our healthcare workers or others that, um, you know, we get to stay at home right now and work from home, but gratitude for them or gratitude for when we are able to go in person again, like when I'm able to go to church again or go just meet up with friends or whatever it is, like, I'm going to be so much more thankful for that because that was taken away from us. Like we were forced to not be able to do certain things. So 
I definitely, I hope that our gratitude, our capacity for gratitude increases more because of what we've gone through. One of my favorite things I think that's come out of this is seeing how creative people have gotten, not just like one, definitely with their own artistic creative abilities, but like you said, just creative in the sense of how we communicate, how we hang out, how we get together. But I do really appreciate like the musicians that I'm a fan of that have this basically, like for instance, like I know you're a big Ellie Holcomb and you're a Holcomb fan as well. I know you've talked, yeah. you've got, you've got to, talk to Ellie, which I'm jealous about, um, <laughs> but, but they, like, they're awesome. Like they do those kitchen covers on Instagram yes. every night. And then the other night I was just sitting on the phone watching their entire concert that they were putting on for an hour at their house on Instagram. And I was like this, like, I don't I, I assume you've gotten to go to a Drew Holcomb and Ellie Holcomb concert before. I have. So, so we've gotten to go to several of them. And mm-hmm. I was telling Emily because Emily was reading her book that night and I was, I was watching on my phone and I was like, this just feels like any other Drew and Ellie Holcomb concert. They're yeah. no different, no different on their phone in their house than they are on the stage at the Ryman. And mm-hmm. I just have really appreciated people like them and Ben Rector and other musicians that are like, you know what? I know we can't play our shows right now, but we want to give you guys some entertainment and you know, I'm sure there's plenty of other people that are doing other creative things, but like those are the people that have come to mind where I'm just like, I really appreciate yeah. that they're they're not even really expecting anything out of it. And for the most part, what they're like Drew and Ellie are doing those shows and hoping people will tip so that they can help pay their crew that normally would be able to get paid from tours that they can't yeah. do. So yeah. like you know, like we don't want them, we want to help our crew out who helps us. So I just mm-hmm. it's it's cool to see how benevolent people are, how creative people are. Mm-hmm. And like, there's just a sense of, you know, we are really in this together and we kind of yeah. have to help each other. Now, granted, there are people that, you know, are the negative Nancy's out there that are, you know, spitting all these conspiracy theories and all these negative mm-hmm. things out there. And I've had to really like focus on what I consume and what I fill my mind with during this yeah. time because it's so easy to consume all the negative things to be brought mm-hmm. down by all of it. And there's so much positivity out there. Like, for instance, Emily and I have gone on a walk just about every night for the last four or five nights. Mm-hmm. And every time that we go down a different road, there's always chalk that kids have written stuff like. Yeah, yeah same happy. here. Or like, we're all in this together or just something really encouraging. And I'm just kind of like, you know, this is really, really sweet. Like, for instance, in her parents' neighborhood, somebody went by and just put balloons on all of the mailboxes just to like. Oh, that's cool. So like spread happiness. Yeah. And, in our neighborhood, like some people have put their Christmas lights back up. Um, like one of them has this, a similar display as they had at, at Christmas. And then another one put up, um, like they strung lights and it said hope. So that's, and we have the chalkboard stuff too, which has been really cool. But I think you're right. What you said about, we really have to focus on what we're taking in. It's like, we have to be hyper aware of that and then use, ask for like an extra level of discernment or just try to be so aware because, and about where we're getting our information and not just that, but just to protect our own hearts and souls right now, because it can just that spot going back to that spiral of toxic thoughts or dealing with the fear that is natural during this time, because it's not that we're not always living with uncertainty. It's just, that is so obvious right now that it's uncertain. Like we always live with uncertainty. We have no idea what is like, God doesn't tell us what's going to happen today or give us a roadmap of our entire lives. So there's always a level of uncertainty, but now more than ever. So just being so much more aware and discerning. Um, and then looking for the positive, I think that like, even today I was on a webinar, um, with Donald Miller who does story brand. And there were a lot of people listening in and he was just kind of encouraging businesses at the end with saying, what does the crisis make possible? And just reflecting on that, like, what's something that we can do that 
not only can benefit us, but just benefit other people. Like what do we just have such a cool, unique opportunity right now? And that's not to diminish like the really difficult things, but just choosing to, to think about what does this make possible? Like reading, journaling for me, (laughs) sitting with my feelings. (laughs) What am I feeling? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have you gotten to watch Tiger King yet? That's like the big, yes. Of course, uh, we, I was hoping we would talk about that. Yes, we, we, start, we just started this the other night. And that's like the big, huge, like, stay-at-home activity now is everybody's yep. tuning in to watch this crazy guy. We are, I think we're through, like, four episodes or something like okay. that. But, oh, my gosh. Have you finished it already? I finished it two nights ago. Okay. What it, What was – you don't have to give any spoilers, but, like, what is what was, what was your takeaway? This show is crazy. The guy was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this. But then – um, I think Andy Downs was talking on her podcast about how, yeah. how this is kind of similar to like, did you ever listen to the podcast S town? Did you ever? Uh, serial. Yes. I didn't listen to it when I did S is that the, well, is that is after serial? Serial is like a different production. I think. Okay. Never mind. But, um, <laughs> Siri thought I was talking to her cause I said serial. Um, <laughs> um, so S town was like about this really bizarre guy who lived in Alabama and, like fixed clocks. And it was this big, huge story about like, he called, I, I, it's been a couple of years since we listened to it, but he, he basically called this reporter and was trying to insinuate that there was some like nepotism going on at the jail. Um, and yeah, wanted him to I listened to a little it. bit of it. So whenever Andy said that this was kind of like S town, I was like, okay, Emily, we've got to watch this now because I was so enamored by that. Like just how bizarre that was. And I think somebody said like once you get to like episode three of Tiger King, that's whenever it really starts to go off the rails. And so we started to see that last night. So what what was yeah. your takeaway? With that? Well, I think what you said, kind of being enamored by the weirdness of it, I that is exactly how I felt. And I kind of love watching like kind of crazy reality television. Like it's kind of like so entertaining for me. And it's just one. It was it was bizarre to realize that this guy has been like doing his thing like all it's like this weird bizarre subculture that is huge though i mean he owned how many tigers and how many people were coming and he's like here in the south like in oklahoma or florida i mean he literally ran for president or maybe sorry no no no, yeah they mentioned that okay good which i didn't even know that that's i had no idea i was like had i known that he ran for president i just would have gotten so much more enjoyment out of following the 2012 campaign or whatever if i had known so one i just I'm, I know some people that have had to turn it off that are just like, this is too weird and bizarre. I can't handle it. And I'm just like, yes, because it is weird and bizarre. It's so entertaining and fascinating. And I think there is kind of a pivot with episode three or four where it starts to open up and you start to like meet this other cast of characters that are part of it and realize that there's even more to this mystery that they tease out at the beginning. Because at the beginning, you think it's just going to be this deep dive on this guy only. But of course, there's this whole network of other people that are involved. And there's, you know, Carol, of course. And this she other... totally murdered her husband. <laughs> okay, good. Which, You've gotten... Yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if it ever is, like, comes out. By the end of, but, like, they talked about it already. Like, she totally did. That's of course. my opinion. Oh, and then she's like oddly, videos. She's oddly so calm when they ask her. Like, I was telling Emily last night, I was like, why does she laugh every time they ask her? Like, she's like... <laughs> like that's just crazy why would i do that like I, I, there's no way that i'm just like you're way too calm talking about your husband's death like there's no way that if, if emily died that i would be able to be this calm in a tv interview like it's just bizarre to me i'm like no. your behavior is not normal 
Right. Whether you did or you didn't, you have to have like the self-awareness to like at least fake a good reaction. Like when you're asked about your dead husband or your missing husband, like, (laughs) oh, and the music videos and like Joe's music. I've seen so many funny memes about like you are not a country music fan if you... (laughs) You that's his actual singing voice because it's actually pretty good. I was I, debating that with who I was watching with because, I, yeah, and when he sings, there's an episode later where there's some footage of him singing live at a certain event, which I don't want to spoil, but yeah, it's kind of impressive. But then you listen to what he's saying and he's like talking about saying good morning to the kittens and like, I'm just like, I can't even. It's, I yeah. loved it. I wish I could watch it. I wish there were more. I'm ready to I, watch it like again. A, have like a weird affinity for documentaries on mm-hmm. random subcultures and so like yeah. i watched one last year on flat earthers which was awesome and then a couple of years ago uh, i was in a small group back in indiana and we watched this documentary on you know those people that go to the parks and they like play those sword games with like the foam swords or whatever it's called larping or something like the live action so if, wow. if, you're, if you go to some parks, you'll see people that have like foam shields and like foam armor and they're like playing some like, uh, it's called LARPing, which is like live action role play. It was the most bizarre wow. thing I've ever seen. So I see, people at, I see people at the parks here doing it. And I'm just like, that is, and I saw people all the time in college that would be doing that. And it's like, it's, it's, it's like so bizarre. So this is another That is one. crazy. Yeah, now I need another, like, weird documentary. Like, I need my next step after Joe Exotic. (laughs) So send me all of those. If you you want to listen to a podcast that's kind of in the same realm, Mm -hmm. there's one called Escaping Nexium. Have you ever listened to this or heard of it? No, I haven't. I'm going to write it down. It's, Nexium is, like, not spelled like the medicine. It's, like, some, uh, it was a cult, basically. Okay. And it is, it's bizarre. It's we wow. listened to it on a drive last year. I think whenever we were driving, Emily got her degree from Liberty and we had to go to her graduation. I think on our drive to Liberty, we list, we listened to Escaping Nexium, which was okay. another one of those. It, it had a lot of similar uh, vibes to this show mm. because I think there's some things in here that make me feel like some of these are cults. But uh, yeah. yeah, Escaping Nexium was a good one. Then okay. obviously, if you haven't finished S-Town, I suggest that you go back and finish S-Town because it's only okay. like, only like, maybe eight to 10 episodes. It's not that long. I think each of them okay. like an hour. So okay. I don't have any road trips coming up. So shockingly, but you can just hang out of your commute, house, but I'll just <laughs> hang out on my front porch or like lay in my, you know, and listen to some podcasts. Yeah. It's just, uh, if you're, if you enjoy those bizarre stories like Tiger King, then I think yeah. you'll enjoy those. I, I don't know why I was so tuned off. I was like, Tiger King, that sounds stupid. Why is everybody watching that? And then I was like, yeah. okay, if we're going to look at this story of this crazy wacko dude, then I'm kind of interested. And yeah, yep. crazy wacko. Can we just watch the episode last night where the girl stuck her hand in the cage and got her arm ripped off? Oh my and, gosh. And yeah. I was like, this is, sorry, if anybody's listening and hasn't watched it yet, like, Oof. and then she's like oddly calm. She's like, yeah, for me, that was just another day. I'm like, that's not just another day. You don't have an arm I now. Know. I didn't even realize it because she's interviewed like in the first couple episodes, like she still works at the zoo. And yeah. I had no, I didn't even notice that she was like, like missing from the elbow down well something i wondered about it post and this doesn't give anything away like you already know from the first episode he's calling in from jail so like he's in jail what is he going to do with his celebrity status like what is next for joe exotic because like i mean now i'm sure he's enjoying his celebrity status in like a weird way i mean he's still in jail but i mean what what other kind of content can we get from (laughs) 
from Joe Exotic. Well, I mean, Serial did a whole series on. Did you, did you listen to season one of Serial? Oh, yeah. So, like, that's, the whole time he's in jail. So exactly. Like, and so, like, I'm Not impressed none. just as a journalist. I'm impressed by these reporters that can get information yeah. from people in jail. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. And, and somebody mentioned the other day, like, it's crazy that, you know, now people are watching Tiger King. They naturally, in the normal flow of things, would want to flock to that zoo. Well, they can't because of the quarantine stuff going on. So oh. I, just, I wonder what, and almost, it might be good for them because now they can prepare for the influx of people that are going to come after this. Sure. But I'm just, I'm curious, yeah, what their uh, tourism numbers are going to look like whenever the public is able to go back and experience stuff like that. I know. Or if any of that, those gifts that he made, um, like all of his gift shop stuff is still for sale or if it's like on his website or something, it's probably like all sold out at this point. Oh yeah. Like it kind of reminds me of, um, did you ever watch this movie called The Room? Yeah, they should make a documentary about it, but it's basically about this guy named Tommy Wiseau and James Franco made a movie about the making of this movie. And he's kind of like a bizarre dude and like spends like $6 million making like what is now considered like the world, the world's worst movie. And it's like so bad. You can't look away. Like it's hilarious. Like you should look up parts of it on YouTube, but it has some, like you might recognize some gifts that come from the room, but it's just kind of like that. Now this guy, even on his website had all these like crazy, like, the room themed like t-shirts and leather jackets and all this stuff. And now it's like all sold out because it's like a cult classic. So who knows what's going to be next for Joe exotic. The world can only hope for more. And then you got all the other wackos in the show. Uh, the, okay, here, here's what I don't understand. There's always, and you'll see this, like if you listen to escaping Nexium, it's kind of the same thing. Cause I Googled the people that were uh, involved in that story. Mm-hmm. It always seems to work out where these gross dudes somehow convince multiple women to be with them and i'm like i don't understand oh, how this works. Like, i know how, like, what are not to disparage anybody on this podcast but like if you look at that um what the guy that doc, makes them call him like lord i don't remember what yeah, his name is doc oh. doc antle or something like that yep like he had like multiple multiple women that he was either married to or sleeping with or something and i'm like who are these women that wake up and decide like, yeah, that's a person that I want to be with. Like, I just, I know it's always on these shows. I'm like, they're not these like uber narcissist guys that are also like having them. Yeah. Oh, I know that part reminded me of, there was a a show on TLC called sister wives and it was about like polygamists and you like more very Uh, extreme polygamists. And, that guy reminded me of like one of the main guys on the show that is like, has like five wives and has this whole like harem of women basically and families. But you look at him and and he is, you could just tell he's like very narcissistic and like very manipulative and doesn't represent, you know, represent well, the, the Mormon religion, not good PR for Utah, but this Lord and whatever his name is reminded me a lot of that. It's just like, how does this happen? Yeah, and thankfully, some show. of those women could escape, like the oh, one yeah. that talked a lot about like the treatment and some of the things that they had to do. Ugh. I watched a show last year sometime, and I didn't, I didn't watch all of it, but I was watching a show with my sister. It was called Escaping Polygamy, and it was these people that were uh, living in polygamous homes in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like guys with like 20 plus wives. And they would basically, like, it was, I think it's, I think it's illegal in Utah, but they would basically have a run on whatever town they were living in where the the police officers and law enforcement just didn't even mess with them. And so um, 
sorry, my nose is like continuously running during this. So, <laughs> okay. allergies. allergies in Kentucky, I swear. Um, <laughs> but th- this guy had like 20 plus wives, and I'm just kind of like, how does this happen? Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by how this even happens, and like, yeah. I just, I could never even imagine this being reality in any world that I've ever lived in. Right. Like psychologically, how did you get people convinced that this is like what they have to do, that this is okay, that so many, so many layers of it, I think psychologically that, oh gosh. But for a while, that was really a big trend with some of these documentaries too, was like the extreme polygamy and like Mormonism and some of those that I watched on TV and read some books about more of those extreme cases. Did you ever listen to Dirty John, the podcast, or did or watch the Netflix show? No. Do I need to add that to my list? Yes. So that was another one. It, this isn't like a polygamy thing, but it's just a crazy dude that um, manipulated women and was able to use his manipulative powers to um, get women to do what they wanted to do. And uh, the woman who is like the mother on Friday Night Lights is the star woman of the of the Netflix show. I don't remember her name. Oh, one woman. Yeah, maybe that's a blonde woman. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but yeah, she the, the show is okay. The, the podcast is a whole lot is definitely way better. So I would recommend. I'm giving you all kinds of podcasts now. So people that are listening to, if you are looking for something to do during this time, you got books, you got podcasts, you got documentaries. So many, so much great content. You got all kinds <laughs> of stuff to keep, to keep your mind filled. So that's right. Um, one of the final questions I always like to ask people on this show, because the show is called In No Hurry, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of was birthed out of the idea of whenever our lives are busy and crazy, what do we do to slow down, which is kind of what we've been talking about this, the last 30 minutes or so here. But yeah. um, and it's, it's, it's even more unique to ask this because our lives are definitely not in a hurry by any means going on right now. But you're still staying busy with work. You're still staying pretty busy mm-hmm. altogether. What do you do? Um, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are your kind of go-to regimens to get back into just recentering your mind, recentering your focus and kind of slowing down to where you can just be with God or uh, just Mm -hmm. slow down your life in general. Yeah. It's crazy how, even when we have so much time, like we still, or at least for me, I'll speak for, for me only that we, I do have so much time right now, but it could still be so hard to slow down. So I really think that I'm trying to fight for that because again, you can just fill, fill up your schedule so quickly, even in the quarantine time. So um, I really am trying to to journal and I've been getting into drinking tea. So I've been trying to like make myself a cup of tea either at night or like middle of the afternoon. I just had some like Earl Grey tea before I got on with you. Um, you and Emily and, would seriously be good friends because you, yes, you guys have a lot of very similar uh, routines. She loves to journal and make tea and read and everything yeah. that you're saying. It's like, yep. Emily I'm speaking that. Emily's language right now. Yeah. Shout out to you, Emily. <laughs> Um, and I'm just trying, I put my, Eno up in my front yard. I'm just trying to like really get out in nature and, um, like lay in my, Eno, have some time outside, um, stop staring at my screen, which I'm doing most of the day with being on calls and staring at my email and just like trying to plan out my day better. Even though I am a planner, sometimes I don't do well with planning out like bigger blocks of time. So I'm just trying to manage my, my, manage my time well right now. And if I have extra time, like, trying to spend more time with the Lord and, um, me and some girls in my small group are trying to read a Psalm a day. So just like, even though they're short readings or these short readings that I'm doing with my devotional, not trying to just like, okay, if I'm going to have more time to read the Bible, like reading chapters and chapters on end, but like the discipline of just reading and reflecting and meditating on a short amount. 
Um, and so that's something that this devotional is helping me do because it's just like, it's an, a paragraph, but it's so convicting. And then as I read this, like, we're just one Psalm every day and talking about that on a WhatsApp group and kind of noticing patterns in it. And, um, it's just been neat taking the time to, to be able to do that. So nothing, nothing really that crazy, just trying to enjoy the, the downtime and not waste it and get outside. And the nice weather we've had the past week has made a huge difference because I think it was just so much more depressing. Like two weeks ago when we started out this quarantine period or the stay at home and it was like cloudy and rainy every day. So praise God for that. Uh, the weather has been phenomenal and yeah. I'm grateful that we can still go outside and yeah. go on walks and do everything that, you know, for, for the most part, my life hasn't been significantly impacted in terms mm-hmm. of like my daily routines. Like I do really enjoy going out to eat. I love going to a coffee shop. We have a really cool mm-hmm. coffee shop where I like to go and work and I can't do that. So that's like, but like that's minor compared to what some people are going through. Oh, and no. it's kind of like, you know what, I'll just adjust and roll with it. And I don't know, like I, I kind of have enjoyed this downtime, so to speak, where we don't have as much expected of us. That, you know, nobody's really expected to do anything. Like Emily and I were supposed to go on vacation last week and we ended up postponing it because of all this. And I'm like, it actually, yeah, it's not a bad thing, like to just be at home and just chill and hang out with our cats. And yeah, hang out with- yeah, because sometimes it's so much harder to schedule and do pull off a staycation. But this is the opportunity. Connect more with your family and like just enjoy the quality time a lot more. So, well, Janae, thank you for coming on. This is fun. Uh, there was so thank much that we didn't get. To. I so know, to get man. To. So we'll, have to, we'll have to have you back on sometime soon, and we can talk more about uh, your. We didn't, didn't really talk much about your work at all. So we can bring you back on and talk about your work itself and all the different stuff, all the different authors you've got to work with and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So we'll have to have you back on sometime down the road. That's right. And we have to hear your response on a future episode to once you finish Tiger King. Oh, that's true. Yeah. we got to hear all your thoughts once you finish it. So I might bring you back on after I finish it. Like, hey, <laughs> Great. Finish Part thoughts. two yeah. to all the things. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. And we will catch up with you sometime soon. Thanks for having me on. Well, that was so fun. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Janae. And if you're looking for some book suggestions for quarantine or even the summer, I hope you will check out some of the books that she mentioned. I'm going to put Janae's social media links in the show notes. So make sure you give her a follow and let her know that you enjoy hearing her on this show. If you guys need me at all, you can reach me at Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform. Also, feel free to send me an email at in no hurry at coleclayborn.com. I would love to connect with you guys there. Also, feel free to leave a five-star review with a comment with what you've enjoyed about this show. I'd love to see that there as well. But thank you guys for listening, and we will be back on Thursday with Alex Stein, who is a good friend of mine that played basketball at University of Southern Indiana and is now in the G League for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we will be talking to him about how COVID-19 has been affecting his season in his first year of professional basketball. But I hope you guys have a great day. Hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you back on Thursday.